I'm going to jump straight in. I want you to imagine the scenario. Imagine that you're in town visiting Boots the Chemist. You finish your purchases. You go outside to grab your bike, only to find it's been stolen. Be honest. How do you respond? What things go through your mind or out of your mouth? You can say them. Few. 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 Okay. Fear as well. Mm. What's going to happen? I'll hold back the information. 
If it is not water in the bottle, it will not be water that comes out of the bottle. And that's basically what Jesus is saying in these verses. That what is the tree will produce what it is. So you have two trees, a good tree and a bad tree. Now you're going to get to see my bad drawing skills. So we have a good tree here. Nice, lush, lovely tree. And a not so good tree here. I don't have brown, but I have a purple. Spiky. Not very good tree. <coughs> this tree has got lovely fruit on it. Let's have some apples. Now, this is not the first time that trees have been used as a metaphor in the Bible. So let's have a look at some of the other times. You can see on your sheet there, Psalm 1. Could somebody read out that for us? Mm-hmm. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Brilliant. Okay, so here we have a very similar metaphor. Here we have this good tree planted by streams of water. And we have this other one, the, the chaff, if you like, the sort of the, the rubbish one, basically. Uh, there's another one, Jeremiah. Can someone else read that out for us? This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wasteland. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a poor land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when he comes, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. So here again, really cleanly um, stated in Jeremiah, you see two trees. You have this tree, this is the, the one that's planted by the water, sending out its roots, and um, leaves will the green. And then this one, you have this kind of thorny, spiky bush in the wasteland, trying to grow from sort of salty, dry, desert conditions. I would imagine the fruit of this tree is pretty bitter, and not fit for human consumption which links back to what Jesus said about these two trees. You can tell them by their fruit. But have a look at verse 8 of Jeremiah on your page there. It does not fear when heat comes. It has no worries in a year of drought. I'm going to draw in some heat, nice big sun. What do you think it's talking about heat? What does the heat mean in this context? Trouble? Yeah, in trouble. Anything else? Difficulties and 
pressure to be able to do that Okay, gotcha, yeah. And then a minus fear. Okay. Uh, so. Clings to fear. I'm something broken. Why? Because they're not connected to the tree. They're not connected to the tree. 
not really the tree is not an apple tree. The tree hasn't changed, it's just stuck fruit on it. And I'm persuaded that we actually act like this quite a lot in our own lives. Let's take a different scenario from the bike scenario. The scenario of annoying people. You met any of them? Okay, so you might recognise the feelings going on when they've just said something really irritating. <laughs> and you can feel your internal or external eye roll. Yeah? Shall we name that as impatience, perhaps? Um, now, we know that the good fruit would be patience, right? I love these fruits here, it says patience on it. Okay? So we think, right, I'm going to be patient. And we stick on, staple on the fruit of patience. And we think about what that's going to mean, okay? I've got to bite my tongue. I've got to persevere in self-control, which is another fruit. And um, so the next time they're irritating, we're thinking about this, and we manage to smile with godly contentment. Yeah. But then they keep being irritating, and our eyes begin to wobble a little bit. And then they keep being irritating and our smile slips and eventually what happens? The fruit drops and falls off the tree. I think we often try and staple on to our bare thorn bushes good fruit and we hope we can make it look fruitful. We said already, why did the apples not stay growing on the tree in my garden? Because the tree hadn't changed. Because the root hadn't changed. Alright, let's go back to Jeremiah. Look at what he says about the negative bush, if you like, the bad one, in verse 5. Curses are one who trusts in man draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. So what is the root of this tree? You can shout out. Trusting in flesh. What does that really mean, trusting in flesh? Jesus said, we looked at before, what is it that he says, the mouth speaks what? 
tight cocoon no. the back of the bottle what is in us is what comes out of us what is in our heart is the fruit that you see on the outside so now we're beginning to get somewhere if we just try to change our behaviour so if we just try to take our fruit and staple it on our hearts remain the same now we can see our reactions, we can see the fueling and the panic and the self-doubt and all those things, it's actually quite a lot harder to see what's going on in our heart. In fact, it's not on your sheet, but Jeremiah goes straight on after that passage to say that the heart is deceitful above all things. It's very hard sometimes to see what's going on in our heart. But James, in his letter, has a goal, take it on the other side of the page there, James 4, 1-4. Have a look at that passage. And then on your table, I don't know if you get two or three, um, just talk about what root issues does James come up with in that passage. Um, he mentions some thorns and stuff you can see, but what's going on underneath? So actually I'll read it out. So, um, We'll all read it and then you can chat on your table. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desire to battle within you? You desire but you do not have, so you kill. You covet but you can't get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So go ahead and have a chat on your table, and then we'll get some of the ideas up on the board in a few minutes. Okay, let's see what, what you guys came up with. What is it that James says is going on in our heart? And also, what does he say comes out when that happens? Can I put it in the paragraph and say all two things together? <laughs> I won't be able to fit it in there, but you can. <laughs> um, so we have selfish desires. Cover what other people have because you, because you don't have it, and then that leads to a, that leads to a wrong motive because you think it's right and it's going out to you because it's the result of your desires, and then therefore that, then three things happen and cause you to fight and quarrel. Okay, so we've got things like fighting, quarrelling, wrong habits, etc. It comes from then three things of wrong desire, coveting other things, and then wrong motive. Okay, I'm going to call this whole thing down here motive. And then this side are not good ones. Mm-hmm. Anyone else want to add to that? Uh, we kind of got an external rather than an internal perspective on this. So, okay. looking at what's going on outside and trying to get it out there rather than. Into trusting in the flesh, so kind of what you can see, the stuff out there, trusting in yeah. people or other stuff. Great, yeah, fantastic. Anything else? Envy. 
friends move breeding this time. I'm going to draw an extra tree onto this. It's a cross shaped tree. On this side, we've got the heart. And this time, it's trusting not in ourselves, but in the Lord. So we have three trees now, not just two. We have the, the barren wasteland, the bush over here. We have the fruit tree over on that side. And in the middle, there is the cross. Our confidence is not in ourselves but in the Lord. And actually, Dave preached about that this morning. You were there this morning. It's all about that. Now, in fact, Jesus takes this further. Let's have a look at John 15, verses 4 to 5. That's also on the sheet. Would someone like to read that for us? Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Fantastic. So now, the line was changing a little bit. Jesus is actually saying, I'm the vine. You like, I'm the good fruit tree. How do we get fruit? How do we bear fruit? By remaining in him. And you have this little water here, which is reminiscent of Psalm 1. Remember the tree planted by the water. We're now joining up to Christ. We can't bear fruit. Jesus is really clear. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You can't bear fruit unless you remain in me. Okay, so let's just hang out here for a bit. What does that really mean? Well, I think at least it's saying that God alone is the source of all goodness, all godliness, all patience, all love, all the other fruits. Jesus' life, death and resurrection didn't just give us an example of that, but it made it possible for us to have it too. Have a look at Galatians, that's the next one on your page there. Someone look that out for us. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me again and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained to the law, Christ died for nothing. Awesome. Actually, again, if you listen to this morning's sermon, <coughs> so clearly about this this morning. We can't do it. We cannot grow this tree ourselves. We can't do it. We can't make ourselves righteous. This righteous tree that someone talks about, we can't grow it ourselves. So Christ came in our place. He came to bring the life to grow this tree. And that's what Galatians is saying. If righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If we could do it by sheer determination and keeping our eyes from rolling, then Christ wouldn't have to die. 
but he came so that we could have life. Now, listen to Ephesians, the next one, because somebody read that first. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realm. So how did that start? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Okay, we're talking heart language again. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened that you may know the hope to which he's called you. The riches of his glorious inheritance. That's talking about some pretty awesome fruit. His incomparably great power, the same power that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead. So the power to grow this tree is the power that raised Christ from the dead, and that is what is an offer to us when we are in Christ. That's pretty awesome, and I think it beats stapling on fruit. Everything that God has ever promised, all of his power, all of his love, all of his goodness is fulfilled in Christ. And it's available to us through the Holy Spirit when we are joined to him. That is good news. And the third tree, the cross on here, represents all of that. Every promise, everything we know about God, we're joined to him, in him, through the Holy Spirit that works in our lives. Okay, so how does this work in practice? How does it link to stolen bikes, and jogging clothes, and annoying people? How can we match the exhortation to put off and put on with being in Christ? I'm quoting a lot from Dave tonight, but if you go back to a few sermons ago, uh, they preached on 2 Peter 1, and basically it was all this. <laughs> I could do the whole sermon again, I won't, <laughs> but it was a great sermon, and actually I'd really encourage you to go back and listen to it. It links so well with this. Um, but I've pulled out one of the bits he said, it's on your sheet there, 2 Peter 1, verses 3 to 4. Can someone read that for us? And they did a fantastic reverse summary of this verse, and it's actually underneath there on your page. Um, let me read it through. By God's power and goodness, God has made himself known to us, and through this knowledge of him, everything we need for a godly life has been given to us. I think about that in terms of the the picture that's here on the board here. By God's power and goodness, God has made himself known to us, and through this knowledge of him, 
everything we need for a godly life has been given to us. Everything that the cross represents, all of that, that is the power to grow the good fruit. Through his precious and great promises, through the knowledge of him, we can grow some fruit sometimes. No, Peter says we can be partakers in God's nature. So no longer do we have to grip our teeth and try and be patient. We actually can partake in God's patience. God who is slow to anger. As Dave said in that uh, sermon, we seem to have a reset button overnight that makes us wake up concerned about what? Our circumstances, our fears, our desires, right? But as he said there, God's desire is not just that we get a little bit more patient, that we get a little bit less cross, that we grow in godliness, that we grow more like him. And when we wake up in the morning and we're thinking about all this stuff, our hearts turn. Remember that word from Jeremiah? They turn. They turn back to trusting in ourselves, trusting in them, trusting in our abilities, and what we want, and what we are afraid of. Our hearts are very easily swayed. We need our hearts to turn to Christ. To remember who he is, remember his promises. I'm going to read a, a book, a quote from a book, this book here, How People Change, by Tim Lane and Paul Tripp, and it's basically, as you can see, there's two trees. It's a book all about this particular concept. Real hope is not rooted in my performance, my maturity, my theological knowledge, or my personal perfection. It is not rooted in the quality of my character, my reputation, or my success in ministry. My hope is Christ. He is in my life forever, looking on me with tenderness and compassion, and he will progressively transform me until the job is complete. That is the hope that helps us to persevere. So when we feel the thorn of impatience, we make every effort not to hurt our feet, but to turn to Christ, to repent from our lack of patience, acknowledging Christ's patience with us, and we trust in his promise to show mercy to us and to others, particularly the annoying person. Now I think this begins to dig into our identity. As Dave mentioned this morning, Peter, in the Bible, thought he was a bit of a I can do it kind of person. Yeah? I think at some level his identity was in his own ability. His own ability to follow well. His own ability to be right on there, following Jesus right up. And I think actually that's often where we turn to. We turn to the I can do it type of identity. We can do it. We can be more patient. We cannot be quite so angry. We can control what's going on. Or we have our identity in the negative. I can't do it. 
because I don't know enough, because my background's complicated, my relationships are messy, I'm sick, I'm too tired, all the reasons why I can't do it, kind of allowing myself not to do it. What did Dave say this morning in his sermon? God's plan, shown through Peter's fall, is to humble human confidence so that our confidence is in Christ. He contrasted so clearly Peter's inability to do it with Christ's ability. That is where our confidence lies. Now, I want you just to take a few moments on your tables to think about that more specifically and practically. What does that actually look like to turn to Christ? Where do we turn to ourselves and our own potential or identity? You can think about it in the context of the bike scenario, potentially. What does it mean to turn to Christ in that scenario? Or any other scenario you can think of, it doesn't matter. But what do we need to think about, do, remember, when we say, turn to Christ? Have a chat on the table. Thank you. 
does it actually look like to carry with the crown? Any ideas? Um, so, we're thinking of work context, if there was a, a problem or an issue, um, potentially your first action is like how can I solve it or how can it be solved mm-hmm. when the ministry says uh, take, take a pause and stop and go and know what you know your identity so you can't kind of calm it down and not be so reactive in that way I might just pour it and fix and slow it down and take a moment. Yeah, brilliant, okay. So rather than kind of just go from here and then all the stuff that comes up from there, actually taking the pause and saying, okay, I know who I am in Christ. Okay, great. So a quick pause. Can I put prayer in there? Perhaps in yeah. that pause we could say, yeah. Lord, what is it that you mm-hmm. want? Okay, so let's put prayer. Well, this word is when you read through the palms of this word, you can hear in Elah, S-E-L-A-H, which I think means pause or quiet or stop or be silent. And then sometimes the psalmist actually says that, be still, be still, quiet your soul. It's that kind of like, stop and, and be quiet before God or turn to God. And actually that gives us the time to just recognise what's happening here. Mm. Recognise our heart is doing something. Mm. And allow this movement here. Great, that's really helpful. Anyone else? I think we just got just to echo that prayer bit. That's when we eventually got to just kind of that point where you realise you're only going to make things worse if you're trying to do things that you're not worried about. Yeah, and on the back of that, it might even be what you're trying to do is really a very good thing to do, and and what you might decide to do after considered prayer. But you sort of rob, in a sense, the moment that God might have something else in that situation. It might result in what you thought was a good solution. Uh, so it's not necessarily that the solution is, is wrong, but somehow, you know. I guess it comes into this word trust. Mm. Yeah, are you trusting in your solution, or are you trusting? in God, which might end up being a very similar thing that happens, mm. but it's actually God that's working that, mm. rather than you depending on yourself, and then responding to how that plays out. Because mm. if it's your solution, and it doesn't work out, mm. then you'll probably be frustrated and angry, or if it does work out, more likely you'll end up feeling very proud. Yeah. Whereas if you've trusted in the Lord, that's a different, a different route. Great. Anything else? Anything else? I think Psalm 1 actually describes it as delighting in God. So I'll add that in delight. Actually, spending time focusing, delighting, meditating on Christ. 
And I think most of us, if I said to you, can you come up with some good fruit? <laughs> fruit of the Spirit is. <laughs> you know, we've got all the, the love, the joy, the peace, etc., etc. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time discussing what it is. I think we know what it is. We want to see more how we get there. I'm going to give a, a couple of very quick practical examples. Then I've put on the table the same slightly better one um, picture um, for you to work through just for five minutes on your own. So let me give you a couple of practical examples to just contrast the difference in the sacred and the growing. And I have asked Pat's permission for this. Um, so take a practical example. Um, of an evening, Pat and I like to watch some television before we go to sleep, and we both get the munchies, um, at that time, Pat particularly loves crisps at that time. Um, and but he also realises that's not uh, particularly healthy or good to have crisps a lot. So he would quite like the fruit of self-control. So he might stop and pray and ask for the fruit of self-control. First evening, he doesn't have his crisps, feeling good. Third, fourth, fifth evening, second, third, fourth week, he's feeling really, really good about the fact that he is really in self-control. Unfortunately, at that same moment, pride is growing in here, and we have pipes coming up. So what does it then look like? Should he not have self-control? Should he just eat the crisps? Uh, I think there's a really big feature of recognising the desire Actually, fundamentally, we cannot control that. And we have to ask God to give us the fruits of self-control. And if he does, we can't congratulate ourselves for that. There's a whole lot of gratitude going on there. So I'm just going to write gratitude up here. Gratitude. Because I think that's quite significant in making this tree grow. Or take an example from my patience and the eye rolling of my kids. I might want to be more patient with my children, but if I say to the Lord, okay, Lord, I really want to be more patient, so the next time they're really annoying, I'd really like it if you help me just to keep my mouth shut. I'm kind of telling God exactly what kind of fruit I want. I expect to say, like, a nice big rosy red apple, and this is how I want it to look. I don't think we can actually say to God, this is exactly what I want my fruit to look like. And I have to be honest, I think God often grows the fruit in us, let's say the fruit of patience, by showing us our impatience. I need to be able to say, not, hey, I'm more patient, but I am really impatient. And when I come to God in repentance, I think that's a really important word as well, I'm going to put sideways on here, repentance, and humility, then I'm allowing God to grow in me what he wants to grow in me. And that will be patient, but it probably looks like he wants it to be and not necessarily how I want it to be. Because if I was suddenly able to handle all the irritation, my fruit on the side of pride would start to grow. But the fact is we do stumble and we do fail. So what do we do then? We can know that there is always potential to grow because we're in Christ. So I'm going to finish with another quote and then I'm going to give you five minutes. Okay, thanks. To do this. This is from a book called Made for More and it speaks a lot about this kind of living in 
who were meant to be in Christ. So when we stumble and fall, in these moments it's easy to become angry with our own foolishness, our inability, our repeated failures and our inadequacy, and we give up entirely. We begin to believe we will never fulfil our purpose. We'll never become who we're meant to be. We want to shut down, hide away and wait for eternity. But we must not. So how do we keep putting one foot in front of the other? We embrace what we already are in Christ to become what we are destined to be. We turn our faces to behold the beauty and wonder of God and embrace his plan to make us like himself. We embrace his faithfulness and reflect faith in response. Now I've put on your table effectively this model. You'll also see there's two little arrows. Don't worry about them too much. Uh, obviously there's a whole book on this, there's a whole course on this, so there's a lot more to say about this. These those arrows basically mean when we respond this way, it often results in more thorns and more sin. When we respond in good fruit and trust, it often has the consequences of more goodness. So those are just basically saying they're kind of like feedback loops. Like, so don't worry about those too much. Just take five minutes to have a think. Something that's happened recently in your life, stuff that could be big or small. Um, what were the kind of thorns that it produced? What was going on? If you can think, what was going on in your heart? What motives were going on behind there? What does it mean to repent, to trust, to take that minute to pause and pray, to focus and delight? Who is God? to you in that moment. If it's a job, God is our provider. If it's annoying people, God shows us patience and mercy. What difference does that make for us on the other side? Any questions before you go ahead and do that? Then go ahead, take a few minutes and I'll finish with a slide. That's us for the evening. So have a few minutes, just have a look at that for yourself. Um.